Hello and welcome to episode number 123 of the Agro Innovations Podcast. All things related and debated in agriculture, I'm your host, Frank Aragona. This episode of the podcast has been released onto our website, agroinnovations.com slash podcast, on Tuesday, April 5th, 2011. Today we are joined by Robin Francis, the director of the Permaculture College of Australia. Robin Francis, welcome to the Agro Innovations Podcast. Good morning. Well, why don't you start by giving us a brief overview of the Permaculture College of Australia. Where is it and what is it that you do? Okay, we're located in the beautiful Nimbin Valley in uh, New South Wales on the east coast of Australia. We're in the subtropics, so we have an amazing climate here where we can grow um, a lot of crops from you know, full-on tropical through to temperate. Uh, so it makes it an ideal location for a permaculture training centre. The um, college operates uh, vocational training and community education in permaculture. Uh, this builds on the legacy of uh, permaculture education, which was my own business uh, since, um, oh, I think nearly 25 years of education and training in Australia and overseas. Okay, so tell us about your vocational permaculture training. What exactly uh, is included in that, and what does it mean for permaculture training to be vocational? Um, vocational training uh, is training people with trade skills to be competent, um, effective and competent workers in their field. So unlike the U.S., here in Australia we have um, both private as well as government supported um, technical colleges or uh, polytechnics, uh, a bit like your community colleges but uh, with um, national qualifications in, um, in different trades. So in 2003, we got permaculture training accredited at um, five different vocational qualification levels. So uh, certificates one to four and diploma. The um, I was one of the key uh, architects and, and you know I worked with the group that developed the APT we call it the accredited permaculture training, and uh, it's actually it's quite a milestone. Uh, we're incredibly happy with it, and uh, for me uh, teaching the certificate three, four, and diploma here. Uh, what is really exciting is the amazing work and the amazing jobs my students are getting when they finish their studies. And it's um, the permaculture training has been fairly largely built on the permaculture design course, the 72-hour uh, crash course theoretical intensive uh, on how to design and the uh, essential uh, those underpinning earth science uh, for um, permaculture design and um, over the years we've found that yeah it's a very inspiring course but people really need to know how to actually do the things they need the more in-depth knowledge and that's what the accredited training provides so the um, certificate three for example is uh, equivalent to what we used to call a trade certificate so that's the qualification that you'd get with your 
uh, classic tradespeople like landscapers and uh, plumbers and electricians and uh, things like that. Uh, so um, we start with that one, which is a very hands-on course and it's very popular with people that really want to know how to put permaculture systems on the ground into practice. Uh, the certificate four is like an advanced trade certificate uh, that's um, more for people who want to be designers, uh, particularly of just you know small urban properties, uh, small rural properties, rural fringe. Uh, it is also quite a focus on community development with the certificate four on um, setting up and promoting uh, community programs and working with uh, human and cultural diversities. Uh, um, in many ways, it's designed for people who are working uh, as project officers on community farms and city gardens, and uh, things like this are really taking off in Australia. Like uh, just uh, two weeks ago, the uh, Gold Coast City Council, which has been traditionally very conservative, was um, advertising for a professional permaculture um, uh, project manager to uh, coordinate the establishment of community gardens throughout the uh, Gold Coast uh, region, uh, the Gold Coast City. Um, and a very nice price tag on the job, $66,000 a year for nine days' work a fortnight. Uh, and these kind of jobs are requiring uh, as much confidence and competence with people skills, facilitation skills, organisational skills, as they are with the design and the gardening skills. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's uh, really exciting, a lot of the things that, that are happening and the new... Um, yeah, well, the new employment and job opportunities that are developing for our students. At the diploma level, uh, with the vocational training, that includes field research, which can be either, you know, with plants and animals, or it can also be social systems. Uh, there's um, sort of project management, um, supervising, planning and supervising implementation of larger projects, uh, integrated design at a more sort of uh, complex and um, sophisticated level in the certificate four, and a huge uh, focus once again on community development, on strategic planning, on facilitating community processes, on developing um, community and bioregional development plans. Um, some of our graduates are working in transition town, uh, initiatives. Uh, one of my students is uh, coordinating the Nimbin Food Security Initiatives, which has government funding. And um, yeah, there's just so many exciting things happening. And uh, it's wonderful that we're actually starting to produce people with recognized qualifications and that have precisely got the kind of skills that are needed for their work. Well, there's a lot in what you just said, and there's a lot of different avenues that we can go down with, uh, that, that we could go down with some of the things that you have already mentioned. What I did want to ask you is about the actual accreditation process. 
Now, this is accredited with the National Qualifications Authority. Was this process difficult? Did it take a long time? Did the people who were actually uh, in the authority position recognize the value of what you were teaching, or was there an intensive education and outreach and uh, that type of campaign that had to precede it before they were willing to accept it as, as a accredited and qualified teaching curriculum? Can you talk a little bit about that? The vocational education and training, that's a BET, VET, we call it for short, system in Australia is, is quite unique. It underwent uh, some radical changes in the um, late 90s, and uh, there's, um, there's a lot of uh, what are called national training packages um, in standard um, professions and trades that are owned by the government, but they also in the 90s uh, made provision for what they call industry-based uh, um, accredited courses. So, for example, um, uh, Microsoft has a suite of qualifications uh, registered and accredited with the Australian Accreditation Authorities. Um, I think uh, even McDonald's do, and um, there's you know different organisations. It opened up for a lot of the alternative medicines. So there's now um, uh, things like different yoga schools or uh, massage techniques and uh, healing um, methodologies that have got a good solid grounding. Uh, also managed to um, get diplomas. Uh, accredited that um, have got national national recognition and so we said well here's the opportunity for permaculture because we had engaged in a 10-year discussion of the need for accredited uh, permaculture training in Australia uh, from the um, early 90s through to the um, early noughties and uh, so um, when we found out that it was actually possible for us to to do this and we found a registered training organisation um, willing to work with us um, and training consultant at an exceptionally um, low fee, uh, then, then we got into it. It's quite a labyrinth. It's a, it's a huge job. And what's interesting about the system here, it's what they call competency-based training. So it's like you're build, designing a building code for a course rather than the actual set curriculum. You know how you have a building code and the building code ensures structural stability and that there's enough windows for light and, and the foundations are solid enough and, 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 and things like that. And you know what, what describes a, a kitchen and what a kitchen needs and a bathroom needs. And uh, So um, with a building code you can build all sorts of houses. So um, we created like the, the, the building code, the, the template, they're called units of competency. So it's competency-based training. So the qualification is made up of um, competencies in typical tasks that people do in that particular work. And so there's the core units and there's the elective units. So for example, in the uh, certificate four 
the uh, core units are to provide advice on permaculture principles and practices to design a um, urban or rural permaculture system uh, to um, plan implementation of permaculture works to select appropriate technologies for a permaculture system and to research and analyze um, bioregional information. Um, the, and uh, those um, five units pretty much require the uh, depth of the breadth of the PDC, the Permaculture Design Course Classic, uh, but with a lot more depth and skills. So, um, you know, the design unit, for example, requires not only that people know all about permaculture and permaculture design principles and methodologies and zonation and sector planning, but it also requires that they learn um, client communication skills, uh, know how to develop a client brief, um, how to develop a consultant's brief or letter of offer, uh, how to write reports, how to use standard symbols, because uh, um, not many permaculturists, they may have wonderful ideas, but not many actually know how to draw up professional designs. Uh, so. Um, and to do costings and quotes and all the things that actually enable a person to perform professionally doing that job. Um, so yeah, we had to design the uh, we had to design the different qualifications first. Um, we started with the lower ones, or we included the lower ones. Like certificate one uh, is very basic introductory. Uh, level uh, that's suitable for junior high school. Uh, also, um, people with English as a second language. So it's um, being taught, uh, used for teaching um, migrants and refugees. Uh, the certificate two is more the home gardener or the skills, the, the, the dream woofer. If somebody who's got a farm and they've had woofers, you imagine your dream woofer and all the things that they can do uh, competently, uh, like plant seedlings and <laughs> care for animals and identify the plants, know which is a weed and which is a vegetable, um, uh, handle animals. Um, that's the certificate too. And so it's um, really been designed for people that just want to make a garden or a small permaculture system uh, in their backyard or on a small property. Uh, it's also been designed for community gardeners and uh, so we're seeing a lot of interest in actually providing uh, this um, particular um, program to people who are volunteers uh, in community gardens. Also many of our local governments in Australia are starting to fund training in self-reliance skills, uh, sort of how to garden, how to save water, uh, how to sort of live more sustainably. Um, so the certificate to sort of, you know, um, uh, caters for that one. And then the other higher level uh, qualifications I've already explained. Um, so one of the most difficult things for us was to think in terms of outcomes and jobs and things that you do rather than chunks of knowledge because 
the permaculture design course is very much a knowledge-based course. So um, people in the uh, reference group that uh, steered the whole process, they say, oh, but we've got to include swales. And then our training consultant says, no, um, you've got to tell me what, you know, why you use scales, uh, swales. And so, well, swales are used for managing water. So, okay, so we need something about water management. And then swales becomes one of the methodologies by which you manage water. And so it, it, it was quite challenging in that respect, but it's really good because uh, when the outcomes are driving the process, then you get this beautiful balance of knowledge and actual hands-on practice. So for uh, students to actually graduate, they've got to not only know their stuff, they've got to be able to do their stuff. So uh, it, was, um, it took us uh, a year to uh, put the um, accredited courses together and lodge it uh, with the... Um, accreditation authorities and uh, they were quite happy we addressed everything it was set up you know you've got to follow their uh, unit templates and everything's very prescribed uh, we dotted the T's and and crossed the I's correctly <laughs> and, uh, um, and we got it through and uh, one of the things also is that um, you have to do a review every five years to make sure things are current, to maintain currency, and to update with any new technologies, practices, uh, changing society. And I think that is also a really good thing. We've just gone through our first review uh, in 2009, and so that gave us an opportunity to fine-tune things after five years of... Um, experience in delivering the programs and also to bring things like transition town into the vocabulary to bring energy descent planning um, stronger into the vocabulary of the of, of the units um, food security and so on so it's um it, it's a it's 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 great it's wonderful I love it well, it sounds like permaculture is uh, going mainstream in many ways uh, via this mechanism and this uh, and and this accreditation process that you all have worked so hard in putting together. Um, I'm wondering, what do you think? Um, it sounds like. Well, I have two questions for you here. One, what is do you think driving the jobs? I mean, it sounds like the the curriculum or the uh, accreditation reform that happened in the late 90s really paved the way for Australia to be innovative in education into the future and that's what's positioned you all to deal with this uh, all these issues that you mentioned energy descent etc uh, in, a, in a very rational way um, I wonder if you could address that and then I'll ask you the second part of my question okay um, it's it's actually it's with great joy that we see the kind of jobs emerging now in the mainstream that we uh, were fantasizing about when we wrote these curricula. Um, and what was very interesting was the um, accredited training consultant who worked with us, who 
was actually engaged uh, uh, about six years previously, or um, in the you know, in the early 90s, to develop the conservation and land management training uh, courses, accredited courses. And when that was being developed, everybody went, "Oh, conservation and land management, bush regeneration." Um, reforestation program. I mean, come on, you know, where's the jobs in that? And he said, well, look, you wait and see. He said, uh, I bet you within 10 years there won't be a local government that won't have a conservation and land management officer uh, managing the woodlands and the um, nature reserves and uh, coordinating land care programs um, in, in their area. And that's exactly what happened. And he said, he said, you watch. He said, I bet you Within 10 years, um, you're going to see a permaculturist employed by every council because we're going to need to start looking at growing food in our urban spaces as the shit starts to hit the fan. And, um, and they see the value of food production in urban spaces. He said, I, he said I'd bet you my last dollar that um, you're going to start to see the jobs follow. And that's exactly what has happened. Now, uh, there's been rising awareness in Australia of food security, and I've been quite amazed myself at how it's been taken up uh, by the um, mainstream. And by the way, we're not mainstreaming permaculture. We are permaculturaling the mainstream. There's a big difference between the two. <laughs> uh, and uh, what's been triggering this? Oh... It's been a lot of things, but um, as different councils have taken things on board, uh, I don't know if it's sort of a keeping up with the Joneses thing, but, you know, as soon as a couple of the big high-profile suburbs sort of make a commitment or the big city councils make a commitment to community gardens and community education, other ones seem to jump on board. Plus, there's also the regional councils of councils, organisations of councils, where councils come together and look at these things. And so they've, uh, the issues of um, food security have been taken on board uh, by uh, many local governments and also with certain state um, and federal government um, agencies that have uh, helped to direct some funding in that way. But uh, these opportunities have actually come up from many different sectors. Uh, there was the um, uh, health and elderly um, uh, department in New South Wales that actually funded community health and, 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 and uh, the aged, um, but funded the establishment of a um, community farm in Lismore which one of my Certificate 4 um, graduates uh, coordinated uh, during its establishment phase. And they did that because of health. Uh, you know, people need healthy food. People at the bottom of the spectrum uh, have difficulties um, making ends meet. And there's nothing better for health than actually getting some exercise by gardening and also eating good, fresh, organic food. So there's this sort of rising tide of awareness here. And then, of course, with um, recent events and disasters in the country, like uh, the uh, huge floods in Queensland and uh, also in parts of Victoria, 
Um, that's wiped out a lot of the country's food bowls. So now uh, councils everywhere are starting to look at where we need to actually look at food security in our bioregion. And uh, the bioregional thinking is starting to creep into mainstream thinking as well. It's, um, it is very exciting. I mean, we've still got big battles with, with gas fracking and with, you know, coal-powered, um, coal-fired power stations and, and so forth. But we've got these little real rays of light, you know, that are, that, um, that are starting to emerge. Well, I would definitely concur with you. These rays of light are definitely appearing in Australia. Um, I'd like to think that I follow these things fairly closely, and it seems that you guys are very far ahead of what's happening in the United States, and this is an interesting case study. I wonder um, what you think accounts for the differences. I mean, culturally, we are fairly similar societies. Uh, we are both very large in terms of our land area. And we have many of the same issues uh, that we're dealing with, from fossil fuel dependency to uh, global warming and community resilience, uh, all on down the list. I wonder what you think accounts for the differences in, especially permaculture being embraced at the local government level. It seems like that is really starting to happen in Australia and in the United States. That is very patchy, to say the least. Uh, is this corporate lobbyists that are pre preventing it from happening in the United States? Is it just that people have not yet recognized the need? I know it's it's difficult for you to speak to a country that is uh, about a country that is not your own, but I wonder if you have any sense of what could potentially be holding the process up in other countries. Um, that's a very interesting question, Frank. Um, not an easy one to answer. And I've only been to the US twice. I was there in 2009 and before that I was there in 1986. I will be there again um, in June uh, in um, beautiful Belimus with uh, the lovely Penny Livingston uh, teaching some permaculture courses and teacher training. But um, so most of my information about uh, the US comes from the media. Um, I know that there's wonderful things actually happening on the ground in the U.S. too because I uh, am connected with some of the uh, U.S.-based permaculture discussion groups and, uh, you know, check things out on the net a fair bit. Uh, so, um, but I think uh, in Australia, we've, I mean, we're, we're a big country. We're a very comparable landmass, but we're one-tenth the population. Uh, it's, uh, I think it's a lot easier to get your word out um, in a smaller population. And um, we've actually been very fortunate uh, in permaculture. We'd like the word to get out there a lot more, but uh, we have been fortunate over the years to have uh, a few um, on our sort of national television. Uh, there were a few uh, series on Bill Mollison back in the 90s, which raised a lot of awareness about permaculture. And over the past sort of 10-15 years, one of the country's most popular gardening shows has a little regular permaculture segment. So, um, and, and a very um, popular uh, permaculture presenter is, um, as part of their team 
Uh, we've also on one of the more independent, the multicultural um, television station. We've got uh, Costa, Costa's Garden Odyssey, a crazy uh, guy of Greek heritage who just does the most amazing zany garden shows. And he actually did his permaculture design course with me back in the mid-'80s in Sydney. And it's, um, I think having some high-profile people that are out there actually promoting permaculture through garden shows uh, has actually got awareness of the word out there. Plus, uh, we've done some very cutting-edge stuff, which has caught the attention of planners uh, with um, the... Uh, Jalambar, the first community title, which won um, uh, a number of awards, the uh, permaculture input into planning, uh, new planning codes for rural development back in the early 90s that I did with my colleague Peter Cumming. Um, there's been you know, a lot of little things that have actually drawn attention to permaculture as a design science and as a solution pathway um, so I think I think the smaller population has helped in many ways to get the word out and having an independent publicly funded um, media with the Australian Broadcasting Commission the ABC um, has been a major asset for us here which you don't have over there there's so many vested interests and everything is just so much bigger and lobbyists are so much more powerful. I mean, we've got very powerful lobbyists here that are dampening a lot of good initiatives in our government. Uh, so we face a lot of common challenges, but um, and we've got a very conservative element here in Australia. There's actually people that are trying to emulate the Tea Party now. It's a bit scary. Um, and yet, you know, on the other hand, I mean, everything works both ways. There's two sides to every coin. And I just happen to be in the thick of one of these nice little beams of light, and let's hope that beam of light grows and stretches its arms. Well, is there any advice or uh, strategies that you would give to people, whether they be in the United States or really anywhere else in the world? Uh, our audience is an international one, though mostly concentrated obviously in the English-speaking world. Um, is there any advice or tips that you would give to people to help them to accelerate this process that you've described in their communities? Well, it, it really comes back to local action and uh, getting and trying to get the word out there of successful projects because um, each successful project builds on something else that inspires somebody else, gives somebody else the courage to do likewise. So it's important to uh, get things happening on that local level and then to tell your story. You've got to, you've got to talk the walk. Um, in, in the, I suppose, the places that, the places that matter, uh, we need to get more permaculture, excellent permaculture practitioners and designers um, c connecting with students in universities so that as they get their placements with um, city councils and, 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 and things like that, they've actually they've got an awareness that you know, permaculture exists and that it may have some very useful uh, solutions for uh, things that they grapple. 
I think um, because the US is just such a huge political machine, uh, it's you know the bigger things are, the more unwieldy they become, the more turgid they are, the more entrenched they can become. And I think that maybe is what is happening in some aspects of, of the US. Uh, but on the edges, you know, you've got um, some amazing people doing some amazing work. Um, we are going to come into extremely difficult times. I think the fallout from the financial crisis a couple of years ago uh, is nothing compared to what we are going to see. And uh, we, I'm really concerned that we're going to be caught short with not enough competent, qualified uh, permaculturalists that can really, really deliver stuff to support people and programs through the tough times as uh, the reality of oil descent really starts to hit. And the planet is so vulnerable, or our society is so vulnerable, to distant events and disasters, uh, to civil disruption. If we look at just what's happening recently with um, the, the scenario in Japan, is heartrending. And we could see similar scenarios on the west coast of the U.S. Um, in the future, and I think you know these realities are starting to percolate into people's minds. And how many disasters does it take for people to realise that, you know, and accept that climate change is real? We've got to bite the bullet. We've got to do something. Energy descent is real. Uh, petrol prices are going up, and supplies are dwindling. And we're starting to see the uh, acts of desperation, uh, like the um, Deepwater Horizon. Um, disaster and uh, tar sands and now you know we've uh, got um, fracking happening all over the country in this desperate bid for uh, cheap fossil fuels to perpetuate the um, business as usual machine uh, so somehow or other we've really got to start to get the message out there that we can live better with less we've got to uh, try to engage in community education and in schools get information to the kids, they take the information home. And much of the success of recycling and many other initiatives in Australia has actually been due to education in schools. And once the kids know, they go home and they pester their parents to recycle, to separate things out, to get a worm farm, uh, to make a permaculture garden. So um, that's you know, that's really the only advice I can give. Just do it, uh, find opportunities, um, get yourself prepared, you know, get your, gain yourself the experience, the skills that you need to actually do it on the ground and do it successfully. Well, amen to that, and thank you for your inspiring words and your inspiring work. Uh, one final thing that I would say as we conclude here is uh, it is true that our country is big, our federal government is huge, but uh, I still think that there is a lot of uh, potential for people to engage with their state governments and especially their local governments. So uh, yeah. that's that's definitely a smaller scale that's uh, manageable for, for people who are trying to build these movements. 
It's um, actually one of the things that we're becoming a lot more aware of and conscious of in the permaculture movement here in Australia. So we're in the process of a national dialogue to establish a national permaculture um, you know, peak body or organization um, and so that we've got a united voice uh, for advocacy at both, uh, you know, particularly at the, the state and the federal government level. And so we're actually, we've got an existing uh, not-for-profit company uh, limited by guarantee, Permaculture International Limited, which really ceased its international function when the International Permaculture Journal uh, ceased publication in 2000. Uh, it's the organisation that owns our accredited training, so uh, it's, um, that's a unique thing about our accredited training. It's owned by permaculture, not by the government. And um, we are, yeah, we're sort of, uh, reinventing ourselves and our operational structure, looking at setting up a national council of representatives from uh, different regions, so regional representation plus also um, what do you call it, a domain representation. So um, getting um, more formalized with uh, groups of like permaculture teachers or people who are working on rural um, development and with farmers and, um, you know, community development and identifying the people that are the good spokespersons that have you know, got the specialist fields of knowledge that can answer to things or that can input statements into press releases. And uh, so we're at this early stage of starting to organise ourselves as a movement because if we can uh, put in submissions, if we can advocate uh, to governments and then we can say, look, we're a national organisation, uh, we've got so many individual members, we've got so many... Um, you know, incorporated members that then represent so many thousands of people, then um, you actually get listened to. We've, we've come to a point where we do need to bite the bullet on organisation and, um, and look at ways that we can actually bring our collective voice together to make a serious difference in these very, very, very... Uh, sensitive and, and pivotal times because uh, so, we need every voice we can muster to uh, bring sanity into the debate that is shaping our world. Robin Francis, I'd like to thank you for your inspiring words, for your inspiring work and action on the ground, and I'd also like to thank you for joining me today on the Agro Innovations Podcast. Thank you very much for the opportunity. That concludes my interview with Robin Francis of the Permaculture College of Australia. Before I wrap up today, I'd like to let the listeners know that I have created a Facebook page for the Agro Innovations Podcast. I will put some links to that on the show notes for this episode. I'll try to put something up that will allow you to like that Facebook page via the Agro Innovations Podcast webpage. Um, but also, if you are just on Facebook and type in Agro Innovations Podcast, it will be the first thing that comes up. So I will be sharing some information 
uh, relevant to the podcast via that Facebook page. And, uh, of course, others can participate, too, uh, as is the interactive nature of Facebook. So please go ahead and check that out and like the Agro Innovations podcast page on Facebook. Uh, that will help to spread the word, and hopefully you will share uh, the podcast with others via Facebook or elsewhere uh, so that you can help to spread the word. A reminder that this and all episodes of the Agro Innovations podcast are released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 3.0 license. To learn more about that, visit creativecommons.org. This is the Agro Innovations Podcast. I'm your host, Frank Aragona. Until next time, saludos. Saludos.